or in the book of Revelation today. So let's open up our Bibles there. It's the last book of the Bible, and it's such an awesome book that really is a revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, um, when you read the scriptures and us as Christians, we have a God, think about it, who knows the end from the beginning. You know, he knows uh, what's going to happen in the future. Imagine if you knew what was going to happen in the future. You'd know what teams to bet on. No, I'm just joking. You wouldn't do that. You know, um, God knows uh, the end from the beginning. I mean, he prophesied, you know, there was over 300 prophecies regarding the first coming of Christ, and he fulfilled them all. You know, he prophesied in the book of Daniel chapter 9, the very day that Jesus would ride in uh, to Jerusalem on a donkey, 173,880 days after March 14th, 445 B.C. There'd be 69 seven-year periods. And on that day, and on that day, Jesus would ride in to Jerusalem on a donkey. He predicted that in the last days, Israel would regather as a nation. And in 1948, they became a nation again. He predicted the pandemic. He predicted lawlessness. He predicted the chaos that's taking place. He, he predicted the, the racial tension. I mean, he predicted all these things. They're signs of the time. And so for us, it's a, it's a blessing because we have that insight as Christians to be able to study his word together. And we know the end. We know he wins. We know that for Christians, there's a home in heaven. And that's why it's so cool to be able to read the book of Revelation and see where we're headed. You know, as we go through Revelation, my prayer is that maybe in the next four months or so, if you can maybe sanctify about four or five months, I know it sounds like a long time. For you young people here, that sounds like a long time, huh? For you old people, you know it's not a long time, huh? It just goes by so fast. My prayer is that in four, maybe five months, man, we will have a really good grip on what the Bible teaches regarding prophecy. And so we're going to be studying the book of Revelation. We're going to go through a little fast. Um, but if you have any questions, you can send us an email. Um, maybe Manny at CarryChapelOnMonty.com. You can send in my wife, Shelly, at CarryChapelOnMonty.com if you're a sister. We're going to learn these things together. I want you to read books by maybe Chuck Smith, The Church and the Tribulation, or The, the Final uh, you know, Countdown, or whatever it might be, different books that are out there. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going through Revelation. Once a month, I'm going to have someone else come in and teach uh, some topical studies regarding es ecclesiology or um, eschatology, which is the doctrine of the last days. And so honestly, my, my prayer is that we would have a great understanding of what the Bible teaches regarding prophecy so that we will know what to look for and we will know um, what to share and we'll be able to sift through all the voices that we're hearing. And so it's a really cool thing. Today we're going to go through Revelation chapter 1 and I have it kind of divided up into four sections. In verses 1 through 3 we have the introduction. In verses 4 through 8 we have the identification. In verses 9 through 18 we have the revelation and then in verses 19 through 20, we have the mission. And the first thing we see regarding the introduction is that this is the revealing of Jesus, the revealing of the future, and the revealing of the word. And then we're going to see that there's a blessing in reading the book and in hearing it taught. 
and in keeping the truths. And so let's read here in our Bibles. And uh, let me just say one more thing before we begin. As you guys are listening to Bible studies, and I know you're listening online to a ton of different studies. I understand that. Can you do me a favor when you listen to those Bible studies? Make sure they're teaching you the Bible. Sometimes I hear these guys talk forever. And I'm like, man, when are you going to just teach me the Bible? So do me a favor. You guys be Bereans. And as you're listening to these studies, hold them to the Bible. Okay, so let's read in Revelation 1, beginning in verse 1. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. And I think in one sense, verses 1 through 3 is kind of an an introduction to this final book of the Bible. And we see, first of all, that it's not just a revelation of the future, although that's inclusive in the book, and we need to know those things, to always be ready, always be watching, to know what to look for. When you hear China, when you hear Russia, when you hear Israel, when you hear all these things, you know, hey, these are things that we look for. It's good to know the future so we can know beyond a shadow of a death that the, the death that the devil does get judged. He will be defeated. Evil will end. Christians will have their home in heaven with God forever. It's such a cool thing to think about the future. But ultimately, what we see right here in verse 1 is that it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That the book is rooted in that apocalypse. And we're going to see that emphasis as we study together. You know, because there's a lot of misconception about exactly who Jesus is. I mean, there's a lot of people out there who think he's only gentle, that he's only gentle, that he's not judgmental, that he will never judge. They think he's only love, and they even have a misconception of what love is. Uh, There's more we need to know about Jesus. We need the revelation of Jesus. He's not just gentle that he will judge the earth this is the wrath of the lamb we're going to read in revelation chapter 6 he doesn't just ride into jerusalem peacefully on a donkey he will ride one day vengefully on a white horse he he doesn't just bear a cross to redeem us he wears a crown to rule us he's not just a man he's god and he doesn't just usher people into heaven He throws people into hell. You see, we have to understand who Jesus really is. This is the revelation, and we're going to see it as we go through the book. We're going to talk about meteors hitting the earth. We're going to talk about earthquakes that are crazy. We're going to talk about demons that are let out of the abuso. We're going to talk about people wanting to die, and they won't be able to. I mean, when we read of the judgment that's coming, we see that it's more than I think a lot of people realize. You know, this book is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice there in verse 1, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly 
take place, and he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John. And so what we see is that it's from the Father, it's truth from the top. And the Father gave this message to the Son, who in the book predominantly gives it to angels, who gave it to John, who has given it to us. And these are things, he says, which must shortly take place. And so what that literally means in the Greek language is that when these things begin to happen, they're going to happen fast. It's going to happen exponentially. You know, it speaks of the fact that when the events of the last of the last days begin to materialize, it will happen rapidly. And I don't know if you guys have seen the potential for that, how, man, overnight things can change. So crazy. We see it happening right in front of our eyes. At the end of the day, I know we don't really know when, but man, it sure seems soon, and it must happen. That's what we read right here, things which must shortly take place. So here in verse 2, John tells us that he bore witness again to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. You know, I don't know, um, basically, we're going to see in the book of Revelation, it's just an amazing book. It's unlike any other book in the sense that uh, the whole thing was these visions that John saw, and he wrote it down, you know, for us to understand. And it's so cool to be able to know the end from the beginning and how the, any of you guys have any bookends at home? You know, one side, one side, kind of holding things together. You know, that's kind of what we see here, and we see it just stands out so differently. You know, the book of Genesis is when God created everything. The book of Revelation is one when God creates the new heavens and the new earth. You know, the book of Genesis, we see the garden uh, there in Genesis. We see in the book of Revelation uh, the eternal garden. In Genesis, we see the, the tree of life. Uh, we see that tree of life returning in the book of Revelation. In the book of Genesis, we see there's, there's Satan and he comes onto the scene where in the book of Revelation, we see Satan cast into the lake of fire and defeated forever. We see sin starting in Genesis chapter 3. We see sin ending in the book of Revelation. We see these two bookends working together so beautifully. And at the end, what we see, and even in the book of Genesis, we see that sin entered onto the scene because man was given free will, but God even there predicted that one day the Messiah would come, and he came, and in the book of Revelation, he completes, he culminates, and he conquers. And we're going to live, like we were singing today, one day the whole earth will sing and praise. You know, you guys here, I'm so glad that you came on a Sunday. And it is beautiful to sing to the Lord, you know. And our governor, or whoever it was that made that, you know, request or law or whatever, saying you can't sing in church. Are you serious? I mean, that will never, we will never stop singing. For anyone to say that you can't sing in church, that tells me he is spiritually dead. It's impossible. A believer would never say that. And that's why when Cynthia asked me, hey, Pastor Manny, what are we going to do? And I knew, I know she knew. I said, can you sing that song, We're Never Going to Stop Singing? <laughs> never. And one day, and it's a beautiful thing to be able to do it together, one day the whole earth will sing. Imagine that. You guys, that's where we're heading. You know, Jesus is coming. 
You know, some people, they look at the things that are going on in the world and the pandemic and, and the, the chaos and the lawlessness and the way that even in the United States of America, people are not grateful for this great country that we live in and they're trying to swing the pendulum to extremes that don't make absolutely any sense. I mean, yeah, there are bad apples in every group. There are bad pastors. Does that mean you throw all the pastors away? Absolutely not. We don't defund the police. We defend the police because they defend us. I mean, when you're in trouble, one day you get someone, as they're breaking into your house, who are you going to call? I've been in countries where there are no police to respond. I'm not saying they're all good, but give me a break. But what this is, these are signs that are telling us that Christ is coming. And I don't know about you, but man, that makes me so excited. Don't lose that part of prophecy. You know, some people, they get into prophecy and it's all, uh, I know, objective. It's all intellectual. They like the charts. They like the information. When what God wants to do is God wants to emphasize the personal relation that you have with him. You know, Agent Rogers gave an illustration. He said, imagine a train station, and in the train station, there's a, a man whose main objective is to know as much as possible about all the trains, and he has all kinds of intricate charts to help him predict exactly where a train is and when it will reach the destinations. And so imagine also that there's a young lady at the station. She's not nearly as informed as the master is, but she knows that her fiancé is on the train that is about to arrive, and she can hardly wait for him to get there. That's got to be our heart in all this. Don't get me wrong, you guys. I want you to be prophecy experts. I want you to know the signs. I want you to know the book of Daniel. I want you to know Revelation, First and Second Thessalonians, Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13. You know the prophecies. I pray that we would have all that information, but only for the purpose of a relationship with God that you have never had up to this point. My prayer is that God would use this to get us deeper, and that God would use this to help us shine and then help us share. Now, we see the introductory comments here, and it's interesting in verse 3 how there's a built-in blessing Notice again there it says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Does anyone here want to get blessed? Raise your hand if you want to get blessed. I mean, don't you want to? It's so cool. Here we have a built-in blessing that if you read it. So go home, spend an hour and 23 minutes reading it. And this, you might be slower, it might take longer, that's Okay. And you're going to get blessed. That's what the Bible says. So you also get blessed if you hear it. And in those days, not everybody had a Bible. So they would go to church service. They would hear it read and hear it explained. And so you'll get blessed if you read it. You'll get blessed if you hear it. And then he also says you'll get blessed if you keep it. You know, it's interesting. In the book of Revelation, this is the first of seven explicit blessings revealed. And some students of scripture refer to them as the Beatitudes of Revelation. We have this here in chapter 1, and then in chapter 14, verse 13, in chapter 16, verse 15, chapter 19, verse 9, and 20, verse 6, and then 22, 7, and 22, 14. And if you guys want the notes for 
that study, just email me or Shelly Manny at CalvaryChapelOnMoney.com or Shelly at CalvaryChapelOnMoney.com. You sisters can email her, and we'll get you the notes, and we'll get you all the references because we really want you to know these things. But here we see that if you read, if you hear, and if you keep the words of these prophecies, then you will be blessed. And you guys know that, right? Luke 11, 27 through 28, you have that story in which it happened as Jesus was speaking that a certain woman from the crowd, she raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts which nursed you. But he said, More than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. You know, there are some who think, well, maybe you have some connection with someone who's a spiritual person or or maybe you have a, a position, you know, in, in the church and, and it's kind of like a built-in blessing there. No, the blessing comes not in that type of connection, not in that type of person or position. The blessing comes in the whole aspect of being obedient unto God. You know, I was talking to some young guys, and I've been talking to uh, young guys ever since I got old, and I became a Christian, you know, and I just think back on my life. I'm like, Lord, how did I make it? How in the world did I make it? How is it that I have this beautiful wife and kids, and we're not perfect, but man, I'm blessed, and you have provided for us, and you have blessed our life. How, Lord? You know, and I tell these young guys because, you know, they come and they're like, well, what should I do? And I can't, having a hard time and I'm wondering how I'm going to support a family and things like that. And I just tell them, man, just put God first. Put God first. Read the Bible, learn it, and then live it. And when you live God's word, God will bless you. And that's what we see right here in the beginning of the book of Revelation. Jesus said in John thirteen seventeen, if you know these things, big deal. Big deal. Blessed are you if you do them. And so God blesses obedience. Notice again what he says there in verse 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it. It says, for the time is near. You know, and we of all people have an even extra incentive to keep the word because we see the time is near. And again, no man knows the day or the hour, but I, I would almost say the time is here. You guys, we are living in those days. You know, Jesus is, is almost here but really, there's, there's nothing to fear. I was reading a story. A child of a pastor said that he remembers as a young boy sitting in church and hearing his father preach about the end times and, and Christ's return. And, 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 and he would say that the child of God, the pastor would say, the child of God does not have to walk around with headline hysteria instead of becoming frightened and panicked when it looks like the world is coming apart at the seams. Christians can turn to each other and say, it's getting gloriously dark. I mean, when we look at the world and it's getting dark, but what does that mean? That means that the glory of God is ready to return. He said that over the years, that statement became a, mon a mantra or a motto in their household. And so as they, on a daily basis, they watch the news reports of pandemics, 
increasing persecution, lawlessness, unrest in America, the unsustainable debt, the collapse of economy, the cashless society, the rise of Russia, China, the relentless march to globalism, tension in the Middle East. He said, me and my wife, we simply remind each other, the days are getting gloriously dark. And that is Jesus is near. And I think for us, we have to have that heart. Because the time is short, because the time is near, there's even an extra incentive to obey. Can I ask you a question? Have you been growing? Have you been, I mean, none of us will ever arrive, man. But even though these are, are dead plants right here, they're fake plants, real plants, they just keep growing. They keep growing. Are we growing? Are our roots getting deeper? Are, is the fruit abounding? Are we changing? Are we more like Jesus? Why? Because the time is near. You know, I, I was thinking about how recently I've been going through a couple of things because I, you know, just, you know, you, how you learn lessons in life. Have you guys noticed that? If you're listening, God is always speaking. Have you guys noticed that? And so I'm running, I've been running uh, a lot and so um, I'm primarily, though, I'm running on a treadmill. So don't make fun of me, but that's what I do, you know. And so anyways, we started going walking with some friends. And, and the next thing you know, we're walking the hills, and my friend starts running the hills. I'm like, dude, what are you doing that for? It's a lot different when you're running the hills, huh? Any of you guys know what I'm talking about? Big difference, man. But I notice that it's good for you, you know, when the trials hit, when the tribulations hit, your heart gets stronger when you're going through those difficulties, right? And so there's a lesson there in that. But then as we were running the hills, he started running down the hills too. And I'm like, why are you doing that, you know? And then I started liking it. I'm like, I like going down the hills. But uh, then what happened is I twisted my ankle and the doctor said, well, there's a certain, uh, I don't know, ligament or something that you injure when you go downhill like that. And the Lord, again, just ministered to me how a lot of times when things are easy, when we're going downhill, that's when we get in trouble. You know, how we need those trials in life. You know, don't be one of those who's fighting for everything to be just downhill. Because a lot of times, that's when we're furthest from the Lord. That's when we get injured. And so what ended up happening is I hurt my ankle, really bummed out. But I said, I'm going to fight this thing. And I'm going to, it's not real. And I even went on the treadmill the next day. And I just, you know, adrenaline. And it just ran anyways. But what ended up happening was it just kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Until finally I said, Lord, have I done permanent damage? And then one day, my wife, she says, do you want me to ask the sisters to pray for you? And I said, sure, go ahead. And so she asked the sisters to pray for me. And guess what happened? It started getting better. And next thing you know, now I'm probably about 98.7% healed. It's amazing, you know? And the Lord is just constantly teaching us things. Why did it take you so long to pray? Why did it take you so long to ask for prayer? God hears prayers. And all I'm saying is that we're, we're living in days where he's near, he's here. And we have to live that life of obedience. We have to grow through the quarantines of life. See, there's the, the introduction. 
But then after that, we have the identification. Look at verse 4. It's John to the seven churches which are in Asia. And he'll identify them later in this chapter. Grace to you and peace, notice, from him who is and who was and who is to come. And that's in reference to the Father who is, who was, who is to come. That's just God outside of time, always existing, self-sufficient. And, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, that's in reference to the Holy Spirit. If you read Isaiah 11, verse 2, it has the seven characteristics of the Holy Spirit. And then it says, and, and again, this is where the emphasis says it's primarily about Jesus. Look what it says in verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, the, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. As you're reading this letter, as you're studying this book, it's from the one who was nailed to a cross for you. It's from the one who died for you. It's from the one who bore your sins. It's from the one who washes us in his blood. It's from the king. You know, I'll be honest with you, it's starting to bug me more and more, that, especially because I see some of the, the, the things that are said by some of these guys, like someone like LeBron. Why is he called the king? There's only one king. Why are people coming out with music saying black is king? No, Jesus is king. And that's what we see. We're going to see that in the book of Revelation. People won't get confused. They won't be misled. They won't be sidetracked. Some people worship basketball. They worship sports. You shouldn't be worshiping. You know, we, we get more excited when your team makes a three-pointer than we do you know, seeing God move or coming to church service. This right here, he's the king. See, and it's a revelation. You guys got to know who Jesus is. We have to know who Jesus is, who this letter from. You know, verse 6 says he's made us kings. He now, he's made us kings and priests to his God and Father. And to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. You know, and, and as we're reading through the book and you're wondering, well, what does the future have for me? Well, um, you're king. You're, you're royalty. You guys have seen the Chronicles of Narnia. It's something like that. You're a king. And one day you will rule over cities in the millennial kingdom. You have been given that royalty. You've been given that responsibility. You are being prepared for the day that you are, you know, a king under the leadership of Jesus. He's made us kings and he's made us priests. And so we will be kings then. Okay, some of you guys want to be kings now. You're like, hey, I'm king, woman. No, listen, don't do that. No, right now we're not. One day we will be in that sense, and we're knowing the future. We know what Revelation teaches. But right now we're priests. Did you guys know that? You're priests. And what does a priest do? Well, in one sense, maybe some of you came from a Catholic background. You know that kind of like a priest is an intermediary. They, they stand between you and God in one sense, okay? So as a priest, you represent God to the people. 
As a priest, you go and you share God's love and you share God's word to the people. And you go out there on the highways and the byways and you pray, God, who do you want me to talk to? And you're not lazy and you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit and you go and you reach out to them. You represent God to the people, loving them and sharing the truth with them. But then you also represent the people to God. As a priest, what do you do? You bring the people to God. You say, Lord, save my sister, save my brother, save my child. Deal with them. You spend a lot of your time as a Christian on your knees. Because you're a priest. Wouldn't you expect a priest to pray? No, some people think, well, Manny, you're, you're a priest, but I'm not a priest. No, we're all priests. The Bible talks about that. We're all priests. And Peter talks about that in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Are you fulfilling your role? as a priest when is the last time you prayed for someone when was the last time you reached out to someone are we fulfilling this role oh why should i well look what he says there in verse 7 behold he's coming with clouds and every eye will see him even they who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so, amen. You know, and this right here is, has a couple of things. It's actually rooted in the book of Zechariah because Zechariah talks about how when Jesus comes, the Jews are going to look at Jesus and they're going to mourn because they realize what they did to him. You know, when you think about it, when Jesus does come after the tribulation period, you know, a lot of the Jews will have been saved by then. And so they're going to see him they're going to mourn. The, the whole world, those that do know the Lord, mourn because of what we did to him. But he is coming. This is why we need to be priests. This is why we need to know who Jesus is. He's coming, it says, with clouds. In Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, when Jesus rose, he rose in the clouds. They're all looking up. And the angel said, why are you guys looking up? He's going to come back the same way he left. You know, from that Shekinah glory, that's what those clouds speak of. He is coming just as he left, and every eye will see him. All the tribes, all the pockets of people in every nation will see him. And on the day of his return, there will be a deep discovery of his death. But of course, we know he didn't stay dead. Because look at verse 8. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And you might even circle the word Almighty. You know, because the Jehovah Witnesses, they have a hard time with that because that right there, it proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is God Almighty. And we're going to spend months looking at who Jesus is. But man, when you think about him being the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, that's the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet and everything in between. This is who Jesus is. We see next the revelation of him in relation to the church. 
You know, John here begins to tell his story, and he says, I, John, in verse 9, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was I in the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voices of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And so here, uh, John, uh, he's going through a a trial. Um, John the Beloved, he probably was, if I could say it, probably was Jesus' best friend on earth. John the Beloved was the one who leaned on Jesus' breast. John the Beloved was the one who refers to himself as a disciple whom Jesus loved. John was the one who was there out of all. He was the only apostle there at the cross when Jesus died. John was the one where Jesus said, Hey, John, can you take care of my mom? John had this deep and personal and intimate relationship with the Lord, and he was only in his 20s. A lot of times people, young people, they think, well, I don't know if I can be as close to God. Man, John, let me tell you, Daniel was 12. John was in his 20s, close, tight with God. And then what did he do? He walked with God his whole life. Imagine walking with God with a reckless abandon every single day of your life and you know writing the gospel of john writing first second and third john and now here he is and he's been sharing the word and history tells us that he was faithful and he was in a, a pastor in ephesus he was all over the place but then he got arrested by the roman uh, authorities he was put into a pot of oil because they thought they could kill him but somehow he survived and so what they did was they casted him off they threw him to the alcatraz of their days and he was uh, banished to the island of Patmos because they thought, well, we've got to shut this guy up. But they couldn't because the word of God can never be restrained. And on that island, what God did is God then appeared to him and God gave him these series of visions. It begins first with a voice as he hears the voice of the Lord. Uh, verse 10 says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And, and in the Spirit, could be baptized in the Spirit, but there was something special going on. The Lord's Day is probably in reference to something like a Sunday. Just like you guys, you came on a Sunday with an expectation. And, and maybe the Spirit of God will touch you right now and something will happen inside of you. There will be some type of touch, some type of teaching, some type of, of love that will be showered on you that will change everything in your life. It was John there, and, and he heard the voice of, of, of the Lord. It was like a trumpet. Interesting how that works. I know that it could have been the way it sounded, but more than likely it has an aspect to it where there is an announcement, and the voice it refers to himself. In my Bible is in red letters of Jesus, and he says, what you see I want you to write. We're going to send it to the seven churches And the number seven, which is found uh, over and over again in the book of Revelation, is in reference to the completion or perfection. And what it is, is all the church. All of you somehow in some way can identify with the seven churches. 
of the book of Revelation. We're going to see that. And so after he heard the, the voice, he turned, it says in verse 12, to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst, in the middle, think about that, of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And as we go through the book, we're going to cover these more in depth. But, but real quick, if you would uh, take a look at this. John sees uh, Jesus in glory. He's in the midst of seven golden lampstands, which are in reference to the church. And so Jesus is in the midst of the church. And what we find is that he's clothed with this robe that covers everything but his feet and the gold band around his chest. It speaks of deity. His head and hair, which are white as snow, they speak of purity. And his eyes of flaming fire symbolize the way that he sees everything. He scrutinizes everything. And his feet of refined brass, they represent perfect steps of judgment that will take place because when you read the Bible and especially in the Old Testament tabernacle and temple, the brass speaks of God's judgment. Remember the serpent on the pole? It was his brass serpent, right? All this is in reference to judgment. And then his voice as the drowns out all other voices as, as waters. The seven stars in his right hand we're going to see represent the seven messengers or pastors of the seven churches and the sword, it comes out of his mouth and it reveals that all God has to do is speak and it's done. And his countenance as the sun reveal his unparalleled glory. And so we're going to get into this more and we're going to see how it applies to us. But what we find really is that in one sense, the gospels veiled his glory and the book of Revelation, which is an apocalypse, it unveils his glory. And we're going to see this as we go through. And so what do you think you would do if you saw that vision? If you heard that voice? I think we would all probably do the same thing John did in verse 17. It says, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. It's very important that we see the Lord for who he is. I think Tommy Lasorda referred to him as the Dodger in the sky or something like that, you know. You know, the big man up in heaven. I mean, I don't know, you guys. Um, he has the, the, the keys to, to Hades and to death. I mean, seeing him, his face shining like the sun. Um, understanding that whenever people came into his presence, that they would fall to their feet as dead. 
And what we find, I think, in one sense, in looking at Jesus and seeing this, is that we see him in his glory, but then we also see him in his grace. And I remember reading one story about a man who was boasting about his personal relationship with Jesus. And the man said, you know, Jesus and I, we're good friends. And sometimes when I'm shaving, he comes into the bathroom with me. And his friend said, he comes in the bathroom with you? What do you mean? He says, yeah, he comes in literally, physically, in a body. And so the guy asked him, what does he do? And the man said, he just puts his arm around my shoulder while I'm shaving. And so he asked him, well, what do you do after that? And he just said, I just keep on shaving. And the man said, that's not Jesus. (laughs) That comes in when you're shaving because if Jesus came in, you'd be on your face. And what we find is that, you know, we have to have that in our heart. We have to see him in his glory, but we also have to see him in his grace because Jesus does touch John. And he says, hey, don't be afraid. I'm the one who loved you enough to die for you. John, I need you to get up because I have work for you to do. And that's what he says in verse 19. Write these things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. You see, this is the mission. John was to write... And there's the outline of the book. The things which you've seen, that's chapter 1. The things which are is chapter 2 and 3, that's the church age. And the things which will take place after this, that's chapter 4 all the way to Revelation chapter 22. And that's what he would write. And so I I like it, you know, because there we have the outline of the book. I want you to write... And some of you guys, you're called to write. Some of you guys are called to speak. Some of you guys are called to do different things. As you see Jesus and you fall to his feet and you bow to him and crown him as Lord of your life, then he touches you with his grace and he lifts you up and he says, okay, I've got work for you to do. Don't get caught up in this world. You know, the Bible says the the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful be careful do you guys realize again talking to a young guy earlier and as this you know telling him hey bro um i just encourage you to know you may not believe in yourself you may not believe that you can be a godly man you may not believe that god can use your life but god can use anyone who surrendered to him. And he will make you strong. And he will make you a godly man. He will touch you with his grace. And he has a work for you to do. And for John, that's what it was. He was going to write. It was time to write. And then the church, it's interesting in verse 20, the mystery of the, the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And, and, and as a church, the pastors, the teachers need to know that they're in the hands of Jesus. The church, the pastors, so important that, that we love the Lord, that we know who we are, that we give the message of revelation 
to the church. You know, it's so important because he said, I want to, I want to get to this church. And, and part of the way that I'm going to get to this church is I'm going to teach them. And I'm going to speak to them through this one that I have in my hand. This is the church. And then he says right here, and this and my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the are the angels of the seven churches or messengers, and the seven lampstands which you saw, are the seven churches. And what are the the churches called to do? To be that light, huh? To shine. That's what lampstands do. And 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 as a church, we're called to be the light of the world. Jesus said, let your light so shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Don't cover that light up. Don't cover it up. Make sure that you shine as, as a lampstand. And one of the things that we're going to see when we go through the book of Revelation is the Lord begins to deal with every church. The Lord begins to deal with every person. And the Lord begins to say, hey, you know what? You left your first love. Or, hey, you, you're lukewarm. You got one foot in and one foot out. Or, hey, you over there, you know, you got, you're busy. You're busy, you're busy. But, man, you're, you've forgotten me. And what he did, begins to do is he begins to speak to all the different people and all the different churches. And he tells them to get right, to repent, to get right. Because if not, then I'm going to remove my presence from that lampstand. Before you know it, you won't be a witness anymore. And so the Lord, I think, putting everything together, He just wants us uh, to be ready. Amen? I mean, the Lord can come. Before I finish this sentence that I'm about to share with you right now, <laughs> do you guys know that? Are we living life like that? I pray uh, that, that we would. Let me close with a story about a true story. A tourist was exploring the sites of Lake Como in northern Italy, and he came to a beautiful castle called Via Asconidi. Feeling brave, he pushed open the gate and went inside, and to his delight, everything was beautiful. Flowers were blooming in a rainbow of colors, and the shrubbery was luxuriously green, a magnificently pruned to precision. Over to one side, the man noticed a gardener on his hands and knees, clipping nearly every blade of grass. And the man asked, May I look at the gardens? And the gardener replied, You're welcome to come right in. I'm glad to have a guest. And the man began to tour the grounds and asked the gardener, Is the owner here today? And the gardener replied, Oh no, he's away. Well, when was the last time you saw him? He asked, and he said, oh, about 12 years ago. 12 years? This place has been empty for 12 years? Yes, said the gardener. The tourist asked, well, then who tells you what to do? And the gardener explained that he, the owner had an agent in Milan. And he said, well, do you ever see him? And he said, no, I, I, I never. He just sends instructions. And so the tourist couldn't believe his ears. He said, in light of all that, how is it that you have everything so beautiful? It looks like you're expecting him tomorrow. And the gardener said, no, sir, I expect him today to come at any time, perhaps today. And, and I think that if we had that in our heart, every child of God should not as if Jesus Christ were returning far off in the future, but as if he were coming today our lives would be different. 
Someone once said we ought to be living as though Jesus Christ died yesterday, rose this morning, and is coming back this afternoon. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever think about the rapture? Do you ever think, wow, it can actually happen when I'm just doing this like totally normal thing? You know, I'm cutting you know, my watermelon and God comes or whatever. I'm washing my car or I'm just walking and, and he comes. We have to have that in our heart. And so my prayer is that God would use prophecy that in the next four months, five months, that we would say, okay, Lord, teach me. Teach me these things so that there would be an urgency and a passion and an anointing in my life, Lord, that I've never had.